0: One of my favorite prayers from the prayer book is uh, said during morning prayer. Almighty and everlasting God, by whose Spirit the whole body of your faithful people is governed and sanctified, receive our supplications and prayers which we offer before you for all members of your Holy Church, that in their vocation and ministry they may truly and devoutly serve you through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm fond of this prayer because it's, like so many others, beautifully written. But I'm also fond of it because when we started uh, using stuff from the Book of Common Prayer at New Hope, and we put this up on the screen, I remember my older daughter, Kara, volunteered to read it. And when she did... She prayed for all members of your holy church that in their vacation and ministry, they may truly and devoutly serve you, which was cute and funny. And the fact is, I don't know that she was familiar at the time with the word vocation, but it's an important word. It's an important idea. Vocation, of course, the word that comes from the Latin, vocare, which means to call, And if somebody has a vocation, somebody has a calling. Somebody has been called to something. It's important to understand what one is being called to, and it's also important to understand just who is doing the calling. So if you look on the cover of your bulletin, you'll see the answer, as always, in church on Sunday, is Jesus. Paul, at the beginning of his letter to the Corinthians, Has a lot to say about calling. He begins, Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We see here Paul is starting off by reminding his hearers that he was, in fact, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. An apostle being one who is sent out to share the good news that Jesus has risen from the dead. But the story of his calling is a curious one because, frankly, his being called was a curious thing. As you remember, Saul, as he was known at the time, was an ambitious young Pharisee, and he was on a mission to utterly destroy this young Jesus movement. He was convinced that these people who were worshiping this dead Galilean carpenter were guilty of idolatry, that they were themselves failing to give the one true God the worship he was due, and that they were leading others to do the same. And what he needed to do was to root them out. So as the story goes in Acts, and I just love the way Luke starts this off. Meanwhile, he says Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And he was, and these were not idle threats. You remember the first time we encounter Saul in Acts, he's doing what? He's acting as a coat rack at the stoning of Stephen. So Saul went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found anybody there who belonged to the way, who was following Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind. He didn't eat or drink anything. Now in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, which seems to be the pattern by which the Lord is calling people in this pericope. By their first name. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered. For real, though. I have heard many reports about this man and the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. So it's not like Paul was doing this covertly. It's not like he sort of secretly got his authorization. Like he was making sure everybody knew that he was authorized to come in and to round up these troublemakers and take them back to Jerusalem in chains. And Ananias is like... I, I'm not really up for that right now. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument. He's my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. And I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name. If you're worried about justice, Ananias, there's no need. So Ananias changed his shorts, went to the house, and entered it. Placing his trembling hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and he was baptized and after taking some food he regained his strength. Here Ananias is called by God. and He obeys the call. And because he obeys the call then Saul is enabled to move on in obedience to his own. Before we leave this we should not miss the fact that Ananias addresses him as brother Saul. This would have been a normal way for a Jew to address a fellow Jew, but here Ananias is addressing Saul not only as a fellow Israelite, but as a fellow member of Christ's family. Likewise, at the beginning of 1 Corinthians, when Paul says that he is writing along with Sosthenes the brother, if you want to be literal in the Greek, he's referring to Sosthenes, who we learned from Acts was a synagogue, basically a synagogue president, got into some trouble when Paul got into some trouble in Corinth. And now it seems that Sosthenes has in fact become a follower of Jesus as well. So along with Sosthenes, Paul's writing to the church of God in Corinth, to those who are made holy in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Paul is somebody who is called, he's got a clear sense of his calling, his responsibility, his vocation. He's clear about who's doing the calling. And he's reminding the church of God in Corinth that they in fact both are sanctified and that they are called to be holy. And it's, this, it's the same word. So sometimes you'll see this translated to those who are sanctified and called to be saints. Sometimes you'll read see this rendered as those who are made holy in Christ Jesus and called to be holy here in the Old NIV, it says those were sanctified and called to be holy, but it, it's the same idea of holiness. The idea of holiness has to do with being set apart. It has to do not just with being set apart, it has to do with being set apart for a purpose. Peter talks about this in his first letter. In chapter 2 he says, Now, to you who believe, the stone is precious. To those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall They stumble because they disobey the message and that's what they were destined for. But you, you are a chosen people sinful desires, which war against your souls. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. This idea of being set apart, of being a people set apart, and of people called to do such good deeds among the pagans that they may glorify God, this should not come as something new. I mean, if you go back, back to Torah, look in Exodus, and the passage actually that Peter is, is uh, alluding to there. In Exodus 19, God says to the people, although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The idea was that God set apart his people. Set apart, that's the idea of some, making something holy, is that it's something sacred, something is, is set apart from the profane, it's set apart for a purpose. He said, you will be for me a holy nation. And the idea, as Peter is talking about in that passage, is that God's people are set apart in order to demonstrate to their neighbors that the one true God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Holy One of Zion, is Lord, and that his people are called to live as his people, and that that invitation is open. The idea was, in Torah, God was God called this people out of slavery. He he rescued them, and he gave them the means to live well. He gave them protection. He gave them his Torah. He he enabled them to be in a position where they would be able to enjoy peace and prosperity and justice, where there would be health, where people would be able to deal with conflicts in in a way that, that didn't make them blow up. He enabled them to live in a world where the people who could not care for themselves would be cared for by others in their community. He promised to bless them so abundantly that there wouldn't be a problem of scarcity. The challenge would be to figure out what to do with all the surplus. The idea was that people would come by, and he put them in a place where the trade routes crossed, the the idea was that people would go by and say, what is it about that people? What is it about this nation that is blessed, that is at peace, that's healthy, this nation where there's justice and, and, and the poor aren't exploited, but they're cared for? What is it about this place? What is it about these people? What God are they worshiping? Because the God we worship doesn't hook us up like that. He made his people to be walking billboards for himself. No, that ended up not happening. The nation failed to follow Torah. The nation failed to glorify God. In fact, as we see later on, Ezekiel makes the point that they did precisely the opposite that they ruined God's rep by the way they lived. And so all this is in the background, I think, when Paul reminds the church of God in Corinth that they are made holy, they are sanctified, they are set apart in Christ Jesus, and that they are called to be holy. Paul is called to be an apostle by the will of God. And the church of God in Corinth is called to be holy also by the will of God. But there are a couple other callings that we find here in the passage. Later on in verse 2, Paul reminds the church at Corinth that they're called to be holy together with everybody everywhere who calls on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. The church in Corinth does not exist in a vacuum. The church of Corinth is in relationship with the church in Rome, and the church in Ephesus, and the church in Thessalonica, the church in Colossae, the church in Laodicea, the church in Jerusalem. And what goes on in Corinth doesn't stay in Corinth. The fact is, As we're going to see, there's quite a lot going on in the church in Corinth that is not doing a particularly good job of enhancing God's reputation. We find that those in Corinth who are called to be holy, called to be set apart from their neighbors in a rather immoral setting, These people were doing things that scandalized their scandalous neighbors. You think about going to Vegas and doing something that makes people say, well, whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, but I don't want that happening in Vegas. This is like somebody going to Bourbon Street in New Orleans and being told that that's not appropriate, that's not what we do here. Called to be holy along with everyone who everywhere calls in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus talks about this in his high priestly prayer in John 17. He says that I'm coming to you now, Jesus praying to the Father, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they, my disciples, may have the full measure of my joy within them. I, I've given them your word and the world has hated them. For they're not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They're not of the world, even as I am not of it. So sanctify them by the truth. Your word is true. Even as you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. For them, I set myself apart so that they too may be truly sanctified. Peter says, you know, if if you're hated for the sake of the gospel, then you're blessed. But if you're hated because you're being a jerk, you're just being a jerk. When God's people are called to be holy, when they're called to be set apart, they're called to be different from the people that they live among. That calling is so that God will be glorified and that calling is so that his people may live well. But that calling is also so that they may show their neighbors what it looks like, how good it is to worship the one true God. To show what it looks like to live as somebody who's called by Christ Jesus. And that is what the church is. There's one more calling that's hidden in this passage. The word church in Greek is ekklesia. The word for calling in Greek is is kaleo, or klesis. The ekklesia, the church, is those who are called out. Just to be the church, just to be in Christ, is to be called to be holy, to be called to be set apart. It's to be set apart for the purpose of glorifying his name, of building his kingdom, of furthering the continued incursion of that kingdom into enemy territory. That's what it is to be called. And what the church in Corinth is called to do is exactly the kind of thing that we are called to do. The church in Corinth and, Corinth and us in the places where we live and work and play. We're called to be holy. We're called to be set apart. We're called to live in a way that honors God. We're called to do that so that we demonstrate how good it is to serve Him, to, as Peter says, to live such good lives among the pagans that they may glorify God on the day of His coming. This is what we're about at New Hope. This is what we have been about. We have a unique privilege right now in that we have the opportunity to help a new church start that is also committed to being about these things. When we first looked at this passage, the title of that sermon was You Are the Church, You Be the Church. And we used Kierkegaard's famous quote, now by God's grace I will become what I am. There always is this sense for us of being what we are and then becoming what we are. There's a sense always that we are something and that we are also growing into being that something, whether it be that we are made righteous and we are being made righteous, or as here, that we are holy but we are being made holy. We're doing it together, together with one another, together with St. and together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is their Lord, he is our Lord, he is the Lord, he is the one we worship. So grace and peace to you, my brothers and sisters, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we pray that we would be a people who live such good lives among our neighbors. That you are glorified. That they see that there's something different. We pray that when we are hated, that it would only be because we're being faithful to you. We pray that when we are loved, it would be because we're being faithful to you. and whether we feel the love from our neighbors or not. We pray that we would know your love. We pray that we would be faithful to follow in the way that you call us. We pray that this would be, to your glory, the edification of your church. All this we ask in the name of our Lord Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.